You are now listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where the worlds of sports medicine and performance collide. My name is Mike Quintins. I'm a physical therapist with an entrepreneurial mindset that specializes in treating orthopedic and sports injuries. I'm bringing on the brightest and sharpest in the field of sports medicine to share their best practices and explore the gap where medicine meets performance. What's happening, Performance Therapy Nation? This is Mike Quintins, your host of the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. Today, we are joined by Jeff Weisberg, partner and clinic director at Progress Physical Therapy, which is an IV rehab physical therapy company. Jeff oversees multiple clinics and specializes in treating low back pain, uh, as well as many other sports injuries. Today, we will be discussing Jeff's assessment and treatment approach to both chronic and acute low back pain in the active population, as well as Jeff's experience with rehabilitation after surgery in the active population. But before we get into the discussion, I would like to thank the listeners. Yep, you guys listening right now. Thank you for tuning in. The feedback on our website, onqperformancetherapy.com, and the reviews have been fantastic. The feedback we get from our listeners drives my passion to continue to reach out to, to other professionals to broadcast their expertise and inspire thought for our audience. With that said, I do have a 30-second request. When this is over, pull up the page this is playing on, tap the three little dots lined up in, the, in a row at the bottom of the screen, and then click on Go to Show, then scroll down to the bottom, add a review by offering your thoughts and requests. Thank you for taking the time to do this. All right, now on to Jeff. Uh, Jeff describes himself as an unconventional and passionate therapist who, who believes that physical, the physical therapy profession is underappreciated and underutilized. Jeff is a board-certified McKenzie physical therapist who practices in Claymont, Delaware, and Feasterville, Pennsylvania at Ivy Rehab and Progress Physical Therapy. Graduated from Temple University with a doctorate of physical therapy and a bachelor in kinesiology. He spent most of his career in Philadelphia treating a wide range of patients from high-level athletes to patients suffering from chronic pain. Other certifications include dry needling, SFMA, and CWC, which stands for Clinical Weightlifting Coach. Jeff participates in HIT and Muay Thai training as well, enjoys treating other MMA athletes, spine pathologies, and weekend warriors of all skill sets. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, so Jeff and I, just some background on, on our, uh, our friendship. So Jeff and I have been in leadership groups together. Uh, Feasterville is probably 45 minutes, an hour yeah. from here, uh, on the North side of Philly. So what Del Delco is to, uh, Philly Bucks is on the other side of the city. Uh, and that's where Feasterville is located, right? Is that in Bucks? You got it. So this is, this is cool because Jeff and I have talked shop a lot in, in some of our leadership meetings that we've, you know, had the privilege of going through together. And, uh, and Claymont, Delaware is 10 minutes from where I live. So, so, you know, there's a few connections. And um, so we've always talked low back and I'm, you know, I think you've always been very verbal about uh, how you feel it's low back pain is managed or mismanaged. Uh, from physician to urgent care to PT. So I'm dying to get your thoughts on it. Well, uh, thanks for having me, man. This is, this is awesome. We've like triangulated the physical therapy world of like Philadelphia. So <laughs> this, is, this is pretty cool. So before we start getting into, you know, some of the details of assessment and our treatment approaches and, you know, all that, I, I, we're going to be diving into a lot of McKenzie today. So I, can you share with our listeners, what is the McKenzie technique? The McKenzie technique is a framework of assessing a patient mechanically, uh, repeatedly moving a patient, hopefully to get them to end range, 
and subclassifying them into uh, one of four categories, a derangement, dysfunction, posture, or other. Okay. Got it. Just to dive deeper into some of that terminology, uh, a directional preference, right? So moving them into a direction is directional preference is what for, uh, for directions? So, and, so what the, is, uh, and what is the directional preference? Ha- if a patient has a directional preference, there'll be a derangement, right? So a directional preference is when we repeatedly load a patient and we find the movement that makes them better. Got it. So, so for a low back, in this case, bending forward, Bending backwards, mm-hmm. bending side to your mm-hmm. right side, down to your left side, right? Mm-hmm. Rota- so, uh, lateral flexion. Lat- and we can also do rotation. And rotation as well, mm-hmm. right. So you're trying to identify which movement is actually feels good. Provocative or, yeah. you know, can centralize them or give them a directional preference and make them, make them better. Okay. And when you use the word centralize, what do you mean? Pain moves distally to proximally. So pain moves from, if it's the back, you know, we're getting pain down the leg. If it's moving from the toes to the center of the back. Right. And that's, and that is considered an improvement. That's a great thing. That's what centralization is the number one determining factor. If your back pain is going to get better. An example of that would be when I bend forward, I feel pain radiate down my leg to my calf after doing my directional preferences, bending backwards, uh, identified per the assessment. I bend backwards 10 times. I only now feel it up by like my lower glute. It's no longer my calf. That would be centralization. Yeah, so we we do repeat we use a repeated motion in one direction at a time. We load that we load we mechanically load a joint at one time. If if they get better, there's a directional preference, and then centralization can be uh, kind of a let's think of it as a subcategory of a directional preference. Gotcha. And so you would then educate patients that you know the centralization, the movement of symptoms, even if they're more intense. If they're a little more intense, it's okay as long as it's, as long as it's going towards midline. Uh, yep. We're okay Toward, going, towards the spine, towards the center of the body. Right. Right. For any joint, it doesn't have to be the spine. Right. right? But, uh, that, but, that's a good thing. So we know there are uh, the, one of the classifications is a, the derangement that we just talked about. And uh, that's how we would start our education and, and intervention. And we, we get a prognosis through each classification of those derangement, dysfunction, posture, or other. And based on how quickly they improved and to, to what extent they've improved yeah. is how you get that prognosis. Because each. We have an idea. Each classification has a very particular treatment, and we know how they're going to. We know how they're going to react. We know how they're going to present the next time they come in. So we know a derangement because it's a joint obstruction, right? And if we can move it quickly and get a quick response, then we know we can get them better sooner. But a dysfunction, which might be like a contracture, a, a tissue, a tight, a taut tissue, yep. that's going to take that's going to take longer to remodel. Right. So that's that where we get that produce no worse effect. Gotcha. All right. So I think it's important for our listeners to understand that McKenzie, the McKenzie technique is like you said, a way of assessing and gives you an algorithm on how to treat, you know, assess and treat, um, any, any joint, not only low back. I feel like it's, mm-hmm. it's well known for low back. Yeah. Um, and, but I, so it's a course that would be taking, there's three courses, four courses, four courses, four, four courses for, uh, McKenzie certification for certification. Then there's some, there's some other courses and then you can actually sit and uh, go through a residency and become a diplomat. Okay. All right. Awesome. Uh, I think it's good to have those resources up on the, sh- in the show notes. Uh, it's, I think it's also good. It, it's important that our listeners understand that McKenzie is taught in most schools to an extent. I know it was taught to me in, in PT school. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Um, a lot of new grads I speak to say that they've learned it 
you know, one way or another, at least the basics of it, right? Like how yeah. to identify a derangement or a dysfunction, uh, or if it's posture or whatever else, not necessarily the treatment approach. Um, and then from there, I think it's also important to understand that there are some people who are anti McKenzie technique, uh, PTs who are anti McKenzie technique. I think there are PTs that only do McKenzie and do everything McKenzie and don't, you know, implement other types of approaches into their tre- assessment and treatment. And I think it's, I think it's probably most important to understand that the average physical therapist, outpatient physical therapist incorporates a degree of McKenzie, uh, it, you know, based on what they learn from a colleague or in school or from a McKenzie course itself. In addition to other things that they've learned in their coursework uh, in school and out of school and implement all of it. You know, it's like pulling from what you, what you like from each person and then implementing it into their practice. Is that fair? I think so. Yeah. Some people look at McKenzie as a tool. Some people look at it as a toolbox. I think, and other people think it's fraudulent. And yeah. 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 You know, some you know. people think like McKenzie is like bending backwards. Right. And right. it's well, not. It, it, far from it. That's just, that's, that's an exercise. Right. It's a common exercise, you know, uh, but, but yeah, that, that all makes sense. Um, let's get into a couple of specific questions. How do you feel that physical therapy is underappreciated um, and underutilized and, you know, th- as a profession? But wh- why are we underutilizing and then in back pain as physical therapists, you know, we provide movement as our intervention. And a lot of time we get a prescription or we get a diagnosis or an image where we are trying to treat a pathoanatomical diagnosis. And just like, you know, and all, and I'm sure your listeners know that it's tough to treat an anatomical pathology, especially for the spine. So, so what do you, what do you mean by, and I, I don't like, I agree. What do you mean by pathoanatomical? Like so put that in a, tissue, a tissue of pathology. Right. There's a disc or a stenosis or a specific muscle that's causing our patients to have pain or limitation. Gotcha. So yep. if we uh, if we prescribe movement as our intervention, we should be diagnosing movement, pathokinesiology. Right. right. Nah, but what you're saying makes perfect sense. We, we don't we don't treat a diagnosis. It's important to understand the pathology and, and that comes with a specific diagnosis. But that's not can't we can't treat that but right? we should right we should have a diagnosis that specifically leads to an intervention so if we have a disc you know if if, uh, if we have a disc problem or a disc diagnosis how do you treat it uh, yeah I, I can get into that uh, i'm gonna ask you how, how you treat it so if you if someone walks in with an l3 l4 disc herniation let's say bulging disc we see that a lot right a bulging disc that's what the mri report says um they went from primary care doc, waited a week to get in to see them, and then they waited three weeks to get in to, to see the specialist. So what happens at that point, right? So they see the specialist, order an MRI. You know, they said we can do it. We can do an injection, but don't need to yet. Patient, you know, advocates for no injection. Wants to go to PT. They come in to see you. How? Tell me. Tell me. Like, uh, I guess focus on that component of it, the L3, L4 disc herniation and what that means for what you're seeing and how you're treating, diagnosing, et cetera. Isn't that part of the problem that they, uh, they got, they went to a physician and they had an image and maybe they had uh, NSAIDs and they finally got to us. That's, that's, you know, we can talk about that for, for a while. I'll answer your question. How do I treat a disc? My first thing is we, is I try to find a directional preference, you know, 
What do you, what do you mean by that? So directional preference, I uh, we move them in a certain direction. And does the patient get better or worse based on that movement? Okay. I try, I try to subclassify them. So if we move them a certain direction and our, our baseline measures improve, well, I can build a program around that preference. Right. Uh, which I, I do the same thing. I always try and find a directional preference first. So uh, to reiterate that, if the, you would ask the patient to bend backwards a number of times, mm-hmm. bend forward a number of times in any order. Do you have an order in which you do your directional preference? It, it stems from subjective question, okay. right? So right. I, I, I always start with, an extensive questioning. How long is it? Is the is the pain consistent? Is it intermittent? How how do they start? Is it uh, idiopathic? Uh, have they had episodes? There's certain criteria. If you listen to your patient long enough, they're going to tell us everything we know. Yeah, everything we need to know. It's going to. So I, I my subjective questioning will lead to my kind of movement screen. So I always get a baseline. Right? What's their yeah. asterisk sign? What's their chief complaint? Once I know that, I can test against it. And that's the most important thing. We want to test and we want to retest. So once I get that baseline, I can move them in, based on their subjective questioning, moving them in one direction, retest. Are they better? If they are, I can fit them into a movement classification. And McKenzie, that's, you know, that would be a derangement. So if when you retest, uh, you're retesting the asterisk sign. So just so our listeners understand what an asterisk sign is, an asterisk sign is a reproducible, a, a, a movement that reproduces the pain, right? So let's say for this patient, let's say it's bending forward to touch their toes, right? So, or squatting, let's say squatting. Perfect. So it's painful when they squat at this, at this certain spot or this, um, this position in the movement downward, they feel pain halfway down in their squat before they get the parallel and it's consistent as they continue to go. And it's, and it's still present on their way back up. Right. So you would then have them do a squat again and see if they feel the pain at any different position or less pain or less intense description of pain. Right. All right. So, so it's important to understand what an asterisk sign is because we use that as our measuring stick. It can be anything. It it literally can can be anything. It can be anything. It can be, how far is their pain going down their leg? How much back pain do they have? It can be a specific activity for our athletes. It can be a descri- uh, the, an adjective of the pain, right? Yeah. yeah. It can be, it's not sharp, it's dull. But it's patient-driven. It's, it has to be patient-driven. So, all right, so you would, have, you would identify directional preference. How many times do you typically repeat? You go like McKenzie 10 or what, what do you usually do? There's times after talking to the patient that I know where I'm going to go, you know, because it's so clear cut. Sometimes we bend them Sometimes we have to change kind of our, uh, our positioning, right? Yep. Sometimes we bend them backwards and standing 10 times and it gets worse, but I put them prone or on, on their, someone's stomach and we do a press up and it gets better. Right. Right. Or sometimes I got to do a static load. Sometimes I, I got people that are like, I know this is a posterior or backwards derangement. I, they're telling me everything I need to know. It's not getting better. And sometimes it takes 50 reps. Right. Yeah. And, and that's very, that's very McKenzie and it, it works. I, I use a McKenzie, uh, a f- focus or approach. Um, but, uh, not, that's not the only thing I use. So, um, all right. So I'm going to take you back a little bit here. What drove you to help this patient population? Why, why are you so passionate about treating low back pain? I'm trying to be my best cue. <laughs> Touche. My, uh, my father had, a a back injury, uh, Fell at work, off a lift, and had paralysis. Couldn't walk. Uh, 
remember the ambulance, you know, was in bed and he couldn't get out of bed. And after three days, we called an ambulance. He couldn't get down the steps. Ended up uh, herniating a disc, uh, progressive neurological right deficits, yep. had emergency surgery, uh, had to learn to walk again. And going through that and, and the insurance issues that would happen and the financial burden and, and part of it, had, he had to do himself, but I remember the physical therapist and how he legit had to learn to walk again in this and how hard that was. And that was kind of my intro into, okay, I, I like the idea of helping people and I like medicine and I like sports and it meshed everything together for me. And I've worked in a lot of that chronic pain and the underprivileged and places where I am their best healthcare provider. And I liked it. I, I liked helping people that couldn't get help. So you've worked in some different demographic, like areas with some varying demographics. Um, you know, where you worked at in, in Philly, uh, in my opinion, is, um, you know, it's not as affluent of an area as the main line, right? So, so the, the, the quality of care, at least in the city of Philadelphia, I'm sure it's the same in other cities, it, depending on what part of the city you're in, can dictate what kind of services are available to you. Block by right? block sometimes. By, literally. I've, block. I've treated CEOs and I've treated people that were unfortunately addicted to X, Y, or Z. Right. Yeah. If you, if you treated, I'm sure a very wide range. So, uh, so I commend you for that, man. That's, um, that's, that's cool. That's a good reason to get, to get into it. So um, obviously that's, that's the background. What drove you to take some of these courses that you've taken? McKenzie, SFMA. I think every new grad should take SFMA. It's a great one. Yeah. It, it takes it, that. It brings us away from patho anatomical, finding a tissue of pathology, diagnosing system to a movement screen. Right. Uh, Pathokinesiological, right? Sarman. I, a little bit of that in there. Yep. Um, what drove me? I wasn't getting good outcomes. Yeah. I was a bad therapist. Yeah. I learned in school how to not kill somebody. Yeah. And, I think, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. That's a great point. I, I think that's something that, um, yeah, good for you, man. I'm happy you brought that up because I, it's, that's humbling of you to say, because I, we've all been there. Every, any PT who says they haven't been there is lying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why, why is Why am I not helping this person? This person's not getting better. And they, maybe they don't even feel better when they leave. That's the worst. You know, it sucks when they leave, they feel good and they come back and they're like, I'm, I'm the same, you know, but it's the worst when, they, when they're literally like no better when they leave. Uh, it few and far between, but nonetheless, you know, uh, I can remember. I don't know about you and you know, and back at you, but like I got in here, I did peds for a little bit and I couldn't do it because I wanted a quick response. I wanted to, right. I wanted to feel like I was helping someone almost every time. And you do that with like, you, you treat a, of, you know, high level athletes that want to get back to sport and they leave here and, and they are a step in the right direction. For right? sure. And you, and, the, and the, you feel a certain way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say some, sometimes it's even, um, self-loathing even like I, I, like I need the satisfaction of you feeling better. That's why I couldn't do peds. Right. right. Cause short, you can't short, get that short term goals were six months. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. Right. Right. And, and to get the verbal, you know, uh, I feel better or, yeah. you know, so obviously they need high level of comprehension to, to be able to do that and, and motor <laughs> to, to yeah. discuss it with you. But, um, all right, that, that's cool. So let's, let's get back into the evaluation for a second there. Uh, you took those courses, you've, you've applied them to directional preference, McKenzie. How do you implement SFMA into your, into your assessment? With lo, low back in particular, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's not everyone can fit into a, a category. 
right? So McKenzie drives kind of my foundation of my assessment and my, and my interventions and the SFMA kind of for you, for your patients that need to move more. You're, I think a little bit more of your athlete population where if they don't fit into a classification, which most people do, you know, ex- McKenzie is an extension. Extension, you know, extension is an intervention. Right. Uh, where if they're, I think the SFMA is good kind of mobility versus stability. Yeah. We, you know, yep. we always talk about like clinical prediction rules and, you know, I, I think SFMA is really good at, filtering out and categorizing someone into a mobility versus stability. Yeah, that's a Yeah, that's a good point. So you use different tools to try and, you know, get to your deficits. So, all right, so you do your directional preference in the eval. Um, what, what are you doing next? Are you, so, because your, your treatment is also your intervention, right? Hence the test, the treat, then, then retest, right? So what I mean by that is if someone responds to standing lumbar extension, bending backwards, essentially. Uh, and, uh, you know, you retest, you're able to squat lower now without having as much pain. It's not going as far down the leg. Those are all signs of improvement. Are you going right into intervention or are you going to assess core strength next or look at flexibility? I did my job. Right. I, I'm asking you if you did. Yeah, <laughs> I did my job. I, I, I was able to subclassify the patient and yep. my diagnosis can give me the patient's prognosis. Right. I can, I can have a conversation with that patient now. Of, I expect you to need this many visits per week for this amount of time. And I know your home exercise program and I know what I have to do when you come back. And I, can, I know what to expect the next time you hear. Right. And if that's different, we can have a conversation, right? So, Did, was I wrong? I always say like after, uh, after my evaluation, I have a provisional diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Never a hundred percent sure. Even if I'm a hundred percent sure, I'm never a hundred percent sure. Interesting. So you, you don't take... Because a lot, a lot of new grads, and it's important for new grads listening to this, understand this. My biggest pet peeve with new grads is they feel like they need to get every single measurement in the eval. And I, my personal opinion is we can, you can get measurements later. Provide some value, right? You listen to the patient, educated the patient, identified the diagnosis. Well, let's do some treatment. Preach. Like, oh, well, next time you come in, you get treatment. No, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm paying you good money for this eval. Like I want to get like, I didn't come here to just get educated and get a diagnosis came here to get better. So I, you know, you don't, you spend almost no time doing that, right? You found the directional preference, you identified it, you know, recommended it, they did it. So you treated it essentially. Then are you checking anything else? Do you usually recommend anything else? Core strength, flexibility, hip flexor stretch, bridge. Well, let's even take it back to the new, let's go back one more second. Yeah. Let's go back. What happens if we don't have a diagnosis? Like as, as a new grad, you don't, they, our patient doesn't have to leave. Sometimes we don't know. Right. And that's scary, man. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's education to the patient of home exercise program, which is kind of still my assessment. Right. Okay. Like go home, do this, come back and let me know what you feel like. And if it's what I expected, great. Now, now my intervention, well, my, my testing is done. I got my, if, if they have a directional preference, if there are derangement, Right, which right. a derangement would be a, a bulging or herniated uh, disc, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blockage of a joint. Right. Right, it's an internal blockage that we think we can, quote unquote, hand busy clothes. Right. And I had to do an office reference. Right, and how, how is that different than a dysfunction? Well, your dysfunction is our, let's think, uh, contractile dysfunction, right? Uh, 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 soft tissue uh, tightness. Okay. Right, and, gotcha. and, and if we're going to extremities, we can have, inter or intra articular, but 
with our derangements, we expect quick and rapid results. With right. a dysfunction, right? If, if we have a ACL or a knee replacement and we're looking for a produce no worse effect. Gotcha. So, so tell me more about that. But put yeah. the tissue on stress, produce, take the stress away, no worse. And we want to produce that stretch, that pain every single time. So my interventions are totally different with the derangement with that disc. I want that patient to feel better every time they come in. Every time their their exercises to make them better, centralize the pain, get them better with a dysfunction. I want them to feel it. We got to stress that tissue. We got to we, right with our little uh, scar tissue that everyone learned looks like a weave basket, and we got to pull it into the right, right area. Mm-hmm. So there's your dysfunction. So we got to put stress on it to to get it back into the right spot. What someone who suffers from a dysfunction uh, of the low back lumbar spine, right? What, what what would you say that like what does their presentation look like? If someone's listening, they're like, hmm, I wonder which one I have. They will have intermittent symptoms, right? Because they will only have symptoms when they put stress on that tissue. Mm-hmm. And and they'll know that they'll come in, they'll say, like, I get pain every time I do this. When I come off of it, it's not as bad. Dysfunction won't be as common as derangement. Okay. Right? Where um, and we can test it, right? We'll, we'll, we'll produce no worse, but it's gonna be local. Yeah, unless like, we have like an like an inherent nerve root, right? Right, then you'll get like referred symptoms, right? And that's the trouble. Like you know, we get this diagnosis of sciatica. You gotta love that one. Is that your favorite one? Oh my, it drives me nuts. Yeah, I I, I spend a lot of time educating patients on. But what is what sciatica? about physicians? Do you spend time educating physicians on sciatica? I I, I find that sometimes they're going a little bit off here, but this is good. This needs to be addressed. The sciatica thing. I find that. Phys- medical professionals in general will use certain terminology to avoid explaining the depth of, of something. For example, are you in alignment or not? Or I need my, is my SI joint in or out? Right. And that's Kairos, it's PTs, it's, it's, you know, DOs. I've heard all of them say, and it's a, it's the, a very simple way of not getting into the details. And I think in fact, it only makes it more cloudy because it's really, you're misunderstanding what's going on. So, so I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't use the term sciatica, uh, unless I'm referring to nerve compression of the sciatic, you know, piriformis syndrome, syndrome, right. Or nerve root even, uh, of at L5 S1. I think that's correct. Um, so that's sciatica. If you have radiating pain down the front of your leg, that's not sciatica. If you have referred pain at your lower leg or that's, that's not calf not sciatica. It's a radiating pain down a specific path, you know, glued down the back of the leg. That's what sciatica is to me. And it's a symptom, not a diagnosis. There you go. That's the biggest one. Is. So, uh, all right. Grads listen up. Yeah. Right. It's PCPs. <laughs> well, and it takes time because patients have questions yeah. and they thought they've called this, you know, condition or this pathology with their, you know, they've called it sciatica for a lot of time. Google. Long time. Yeah. It's, it's sciatica. So, um, and again, it, a lot of people don't care. They're like, I don't care what you're calling, but they need Fix to understand yeah. what the, what, what the, what the dysfunction in particular, it takes a lot of education because you're reproducing pain every time, every time. So, so uh, can you give me an example of where you would load that tissue back off and then what you, the results you expect to see? I think it's easier in, uh, maybe a shoulder or a knee, like, a sure. Let, let's say a dysfunction could correlate with like an adhesive capsulitis. Right. Okay. Or uh, a tight hamstring, let's say. Okay. Right. So how do you, how would you treat a tight hamstring? 
It's, I mean, it depends on what's going on. To me, if there's an injury to the hamstring, I'm, I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the hamstring as much, right? But if you're just saying there's tightness and there's straight leg raise is different than the other side, and et cetera, maybe you're doing some some soft tissue work. You're doing. You're looking at the hip joint. You're looking at the knee. You're looking at the ankle. You look above and below, and you're addressing ART, maybe Graston. Right? You're addressing that tissue directly. If the, if it is actually a length issue, yeah. I almost or then maybe even we'll say like you hear a nerve root could be like a good. So, so we, we, we load that tissue and however, however we try to reproduce that baseline, yep. we load that tissue and we get a, a low level pain, two, three out of 10 and we come off of it and we, and we'll do t- 10, 20, 30 repetitions and we don't want that pain to last more than five, 10 minutes. Right. right. Produce no worse, produce no worse, produce no worse over and over and over again. And we're going to slowly get that tissue to adapt, to stretch. Right. Maybe like after like a total knee. Or if you have like a contracture is a, is a perfect one. Right. And keep loading it. So it keeps adapting, keeps adapting, keeps coming back to normal. And we keep progressing our exercises and our interventions to keep producing that dysfunction. Or that load. Yeah. That load. And, and maybe we yeah. have to change our directions, our weight. And little by little, that tissue is going to adapt. We're, we're, our, our bodies are super adaptive. They may not be smart, but they're super adaptive. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So you're doing, you're, you, in this case, you would do uh, RDLs. You, you would do whatever bridges, it is, bridges yeah. whatever it is to load the tissue, and then you would progress that to something like a Nordic hamstring curl, something like that. And if that's and if it changes, right, if we start getting referred pain, right, or if it stays worse, then we know it's not a dysfunction. Right. Right. We're, 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 st- we're sticking to like McKenzie subclassifications, but if it starts to change, then you have to change your diagnosis. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. So that, and that's why you, you had mentioned, you kind of stopped me in the beginning at one point you said diagnosis, sometimes they'll leave without a diagnosis. Like that's not, you know, so we're treating a movement dysfunction uh, or stability dysfunction, not necessarily a diagnosis. We're and, movement specialists. Yeah. So we have to diagnose a movement that leads to a specific treatment. Fair. Uh, very fair. Um, all right, so tell me about some progressions you would do, if you don't mind me asking. So you load the tissue. Uh, let's talk about a derangement, like we were talking about that L4, L5, uh, or L3, L4 uh, derangement. So you found your treatment. You're doing extensions. Let's say prone is better than, so on their stomach is better, doing press-ups, than, better than we standing to, We up. have to get to end range. You got to get to end range, right. I, th- I think that's kind of where you're going, right? Yep. How, how do we get them better? We, we can, end range is, where, is the magic sauce. And then are there any mobility or are there any stability deficits in this patient population that you've seen as well? Or is it just get the end range and then you should be all good? I did my job. What's our baseline? So that's right. We have that's it's a rhetorical part of the question. Yeah. yeah. But if we, we, we cannot get a derangement better without getting to end range. We have to get to end range, reproduce it over and over. So I go kind of maintain, attain, sustain. There, there's my, there's my progression for you that. I didn't answer your question. I hope I did now. No, no. So, right. so we have, to, we have to main, we have to attain that derangement to normal. We have to keep it there. And how we may have to progress our forces from a press up to kind of a press up with patient over pressure. Maybe they press up, get to end range and, and exhale yeah. and let that back sag a little bit, yeah. a little, little bit more pressure at end range. Then maybe we go start going into clinician over pressure, PAs, right? If, if our patient's like in our stomach, we, we, we press on their spine, start mobbing into a little bit. If that doesn't get better, then we kind of go into that grade five mobs, the manipulations. And if that doesn't work, then we have to start looking laterally. 
We kind of work around the clock. So, you know, bend backwards, bend sideways, if not bend forwards. So there's a progression that the good thing with McKenzie is there's a very kind of a a nice pathway. Yeah. And if if people, yeah, if people, there's, there's very much an algorithm. Yep. And, And, and to, for your stability question is once we get that derangement, out of there and sustained and we start bending them forward and they don't have pain anymore, then we can start looking at, hey, do we have anything else we have to work on the patient? And most people, of course, who doesn't have a weak core? Well, especially if they can't get the end range, right? Yeah. If you can't get the end range, you're, you're probably some deficits. That's interesting. So you, so the goal would be to get two end range before we even talk about core. Or, or we can do it at the same. I, 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 sit, I sit there, I have people do press-ups and then I have people do, you know, pay-offs. In the same session. Bed, but in the same okay. session, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, if you can't get through the full range of motion, then you probably don't have strength within the new range of motion you're getting. Yeah, you right? this like micro stability issue, right? Do sure. we have to? Do you have like a? Do you have like a, um, a motor kind of moron? You know? Yeah, very, right, yeah. For lack of a better stability. expression, yeah, you're right. It, that's person what, can't move. It's coordination. Right it's coordination. Yeah, coordination dysfunction. No call. And I, th- I think some of like my uh, Mackenzie colleagues are like. What's he talking about? <laughs> what I, well, I also dry needle. I'm, I'm very all over the place. Uh, and, and, I, this and, podcast and that's why, <laughs> that's my fault. But no, this is good. And this is why I wanted to get you on because you do a lot of things that I feel like, um, even how you explain some of this is it's unconventional, which is, it's okay. I, I also want that to come across. It is okay to be a medical professional and be unconventional. It, it, there's not a, a blueprint on how to treat low back pain, right? McKenzie may use some McKenzie techniques. You may do dry needling on someone's low back. McKenzie doesn't say anything about dry needling, not to my knowledge. They hate it. They hate it, right? Hate there it. you go. So so to me, it's super important as a part of like my representation of me, as well as I pick and choose different things that I, I like and find that fit the way with my, the way my brain works, right? So I think that's important that you also demonstrate that and how, how you're talking about treating it and, and, uh, and so forth. Um, yeah, so elaborate more on, on that, uh, the, the focus of, of like even dry needling with, with some of this, right. And, and the, the stability piece, I, I want to get into that. So more, more like with stability, a progression of an extension based program for stability. Two, I think that's like two separate treatment. Agreed. Right. Now, like extension is we can bend people backwards a million ways. Yep. Right. So if they do have the derangement and we keep bending them backwards, they keep getting better, keep bending them backwards until they're better. Right. And sometimes, and a lot of it is they got to do it at home. You know, they got to be consistent. They can come to me two, three days a week. What about the other? They're here for, you see, you pay, I see a little bit longer, I, hour 15, hour and a half sometimes. Yep. But so much of it's education. And the, the stability aspect is if I feel like there's a, if, if they can't move the way I'm asking them to move, and then we're kind of looking at the neuromuscular components. Right. right blasting their core right and so and so how, how do you go about that like do you go right to a like a bridge with leg extension is a is a very common test yeah. that you'll see you know tpi other I like quadruped okay right I'm a big fan of like cross body symmetry okay right arm left leg athletic population right you yep. do a lot of that up a ton of that a ton and, of that yeah so I, like I, that. I usually work in progression i'll go supine then prone then then i'll work to, to kneeling half kneeling, kneeling tall yep. kneeling right that whole progression mm-hmm. quadruped um, and then half kneeling, tall kneeling, and then standing, you know, standing on two feet, uh, in you know, normal anatomical position and then split, split the stance, make the stance wider, make it more narrow, uh, do it more dynamically. 
right? So to me, there's a progression. People call it like the, they want the human like evolution yeah. progression where it's like, oh, I couldn't like think about how a baby moves. They lie down on their back and then they can roll over and then they can, you know, get mm-hmm. to their stomach and then they're crawling and, you know, so uh, I, that's how, that's my progression. What do you usually, how do you usually go about it? If I got to find, if we were talking derangement, I got to see how I can get their symptoms to, to reduce. And a lot of times that's, that's prone, you know, cause most derangements in the back are extension bias. So we got them. So a lot of times it's prone. And then if, if I'm doing stability work, I'll do, from, sometimes it's just patient. Right. I, I don't want a patient up and down and up and down and up and down. Right. Off my table, off my table, off my table. Right. Right. So a lot of times it's a little bit of comfort in there. So I'll do my press ups. I'll do, you know, sometimes I'm, I can get, I can work from the top down or the bottom up. Sometimes I'm doing like hip extensions. Right. I just want to get that back penny backwards. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of the, we're training like one muscle at one time, which I'm not a big fan of, but sometimes we're trying to like dumb it down for people. Um, but the McKenzie doesn't get much into like the, the force progression for us is how do we get them to feel better? What type, what's the maximal amount of force that we need to use for a patient to centralize symptoms? Right. That was, so when I hear force progression, I, my, I always go there and I know yours like, I want exercises. Right? Yeah, that's what I, our people want to hear. What interventions can, like, what can I learn from this podcast? What can I learn from like you? <laughs> not yet. I was saying very much. Uh, no, it's, it's, um, I, I also, I do a ton of manual. Like I did, went through an ortho, I got my OCS. I, did, I, I do a ton of manipulation, C-spine, T-spine. Now I do a ton of T-spine um, and, and lumbar spine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like think, mini chiropractor sometimes. The, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, um, yeah, I'm not going to get into that one, but uh, <laughs> neither good nor bad. But uh, yeah, we, we have the ability to do that and, you know, and we sh- it should be based on research. But I also mm-hmm. think my philosophy personally is I got to get this person moving better. And we can work on some stability during that. But once they're like got full range of motion, I, yeah, I can maybe do some soft tissue work to get them to feel yeah. better, but they got to get stronger, right? As long as the deficits present accordingly, right? If there's weakness. So an example would be, I can get to end range extension now uh, and I can get the end range fle- flexion. Side bending's fine. Uh, I, I can't squat with 20 pounds. You know, I can't hold my, my grand or my son and, you know, get to the floor and pick up his, his bank that he just dropped. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and then we start thinking functionally. Right. Right. And, and we do something called restoration of function. Right. So uh, our progression there is, well, if it, again, if, we, if we're still talking back and, and derangement extension, we'll bend them backwards. Then, then on their back, we'll go knees to chest. Right. And, are we reprodu- and then we'll, we'll, we'll do 10 of those and then flip them back on them and do another press up. Do we have a change in mechanical sim- in symptoms? Right. Do their pain change or their movement change? Everything's the same. Great. Send them home with that. And little, and little by little progress it start from the back of the day to the forward of the day based on kind of hydrodynamics of the disc. And then from going supine, we can go from sitting and then to standing. Right. And we're kind of sandwiching a good movement with a sandwiching the bad movement with a good movement. And, and that's kind of my progression of restoration of function. And then if they have an issue, if there's, if there's, if they had nerve compression and weakness in the leg and they can't squat and they're compensating, then we can start having some fun with them. And I, and I, more of our traditional physical therapy of, okay, let's work on our squat. Well, let's, let's work on push and pulling. Let's get a sled out here if we have, if they're younger. For, why not if they're older? Oh yeah, for sure. Right? Oh yeah. We, 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 more, we had to load that joint. Yeah, we use a sled all the time and probably more often for people who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s yeah. or older. And they said, and what do they say to you? I can't do that. 
I say it all the time. They're like, do you want me to do that? I said, is it great when they and when you sh- when they're like, yeah, man, yeah, they're like put more weight on there. <laughs> <laughs> the best. No, I, I well said. So so you you focus on the different positions and then you introduce a little bit like of a squat. So like a wall squat or like with with a plyo ball. What kind of are you doing? Are you just modifying the height of of or the depth of a squat? Yes. Yeah, so some sometimes it's like I'll put like a little Eric under the chair and have yeah. it a little bit easier. I'll give them weight. Are they limited? Do they have it? And, and then we have fun with it. Then it's kind of that SFMA. Like, do they have an ankle issue? Right. Right. Do they have like a hip issue? Right. Something else. And so then we got to start clearing these. And but but we'd have never known that if we didn't clear kind of their movement pathology. Yeah, this is this is all great stuff. Uh, and do you focus on soft tissue as well? But- I'm, I'm I'm a big manual guy. Um, probably, I probably put my hands on people more than the traditional McKenzie therapist. Um, but people feel better just when you get your hands on them. And and I'm in the business of making, of providing value to someone and making them feel better. And sometimes they need that value to, to continue. And if they don't continue with therapy, I'm, I'm afraid they're not going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So what soft tissue structures do you focus on with, with your patients, uh, like in a derangement or like, are there any like three or four big muscle groups that you focus on? And let me know if you agree with me or not, but let's say if we do like a manipulation, a mobilization of grade five, like we can't focus on three C three, four. Like we, we can try to target. Right. Right. right but everything. So, so I'm doing, I, I'll, if it's a derangement posterior, I'm doing PAs. Yep. All right. Then I'll do a little bit of a gapping, stretch the tissue, maybe like a little trigger point. My fat, then, then sometimes like the dry needling comes in there. Yep. Maybe if I think like the multifidi is off, I can throw like a needle in there. Yep. All right. So yeah. uh, I, I use hawk grips a lot. There you go. Right, so I get a little like quadruped, get some rocking in there. Right, if I can make them feel a little bit better, right? But I'm still working that directional preference. Yeah, it it, it works wonders. That's it. That's it. That's the best of both worlds, in my opinion. You you don't want someone just to lay on flat on their back and do manual therapy the entire time, right? Like that's not going to necessarily help them enough to improve their function to the point of you know getting to their goals they need to be able to move so i like when you said rocking and doing things in different positions and you know getting them to move around i think mobilization with movement is super important i think soft to like an active release for like the glutes with you know the knee up to the chest the foot dropping off the edge of the table and side lying and you're getting a stretch on that tissue as well as as in addition to you know directional pressure of some kind um, so I, I like all those and I like how you're using dry needling in there too. I think research supports it. So why not? And let's not forget manual therapy is still a passive treatment. Sure. Right. Yeah. Stems a passive treatment. Correct. So we, at the end, we, we want to start to get away from there. And if it's, it's something at the end of like, Hey, we're stretching our hamstrings and you know, like we're, we're still trying to make the patient feel good. Right. But maybe that arrangement's gone already. Right. So we don't need to focus as much on that. So we want to get them independent. The goal of a healthcare provider is to get rid of us. Right, right, yeah. Right? I say it all the time. I don't, I don't want you seeing me forever. Yeah, like, we, we, yeah. send me your friends. Yeah, right. So, you know, like, you know, I don't want to see you forever. I want you to graduate. Right. So we can't keep providing passive treatment. Yep. We need evidence-based, active treatment for patients to empower them, to make them independent, and, you know, go tell people how, how, how we're different. So... It, Listen, I think you nailed it. A, a big part of McKenzie's approach is that we promote independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and McKenzie essentially is, like you said, I did my job. You, you've experienced a reduction in symptoms, doing a press up. You don't, you don't need me any, like, you're good, go home. Mm-hmm. You know, do that on your own. So it is a, a lot of empowerment. Tell me about um, 
you know, if you're good, if you're good on some of that stuff, I want to know more about like your take on certain surgeries. Uh, we, we see it a lot. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, spine surgeons, uh, a lot for mostly cervical and, and lumbar, some, some for thoracic. I'm curious your take on, on surgeries. What's a common surgery that you see in the clinic? Stick, po- stick the spine. Yep. Stick the spine. Yeah. Spine. Uh, I mean, we see because I'm McKenzie, I get a lot of, uh, the neurosurgeons, the pain managements that they're stuck, right? They, they don't know what to do where they failed other therapy. Go see Dr. Jeff. Um, a lot of disectomies, fusions, a, a lot of people that have in, in a facet, in, they get a facet injection and they don't have any, or an epidural and they're not better. What about the patients? Like I got an epidural and, and that's causing my, my sciatica. Yeah. What, did you ever get that? Yeah, oh yeah. My I'm, epidural caused my sciatica. So, so tell me your take on that. Uh, patients who respond well to injections, patient that patients that don't respond well to injections. And I'm talking about ep- epidurals in mm-hmm. particular, but it, how, how do you educate them on what's normal and what's not? When we're doing an injection, we're trying to target a specific tissue, right? Yep. Pathoanatomy. We got an MRI and we see this area. So we try to flood that area with an anti-inflammatory or, you know, doing a nerve ablation. Yep. Right. I see some of those. So the patient got no better. Well, we were targeting maybe a structure that's always been there and wrong. It has just been asymptomatic. So, so that's why it came up on the MRI, but didn't yeah, help your symptoms. Yeah. And, or an MRI is like this, you know, it's still just a two dimensional image of us laying down. Yep. The patient comes to you, Mike, I, I only have pain when I'm walking around. I don't have pain when I'm laying down, but the MRI is done in what position? Yeah, exactly. Supine. Right. Yep. Or I get pain when I go to pick my kid up. Yep. Right. Flexion, bending. Why are we taking flexion-based MRIs? Oh, for sure. I mean, once we get good enough where we don't have to be in, in a tube for 45 minutes, yeah. it'd be nice if it could be like a snapshot and right. we got it and just bring your kid in. We'll 50% of people are walking around yeah. without back pain and positive MRI findings. Right. Say that one more time. 50% of people are walking around with positive MRI findings with no pain. And 50% of people with back pain have negative MRI findings. Why? Should they just listen to the first 30 minutes of this? Pathoanatomy doesn't correlate to symptoms, right? Movement, right? Pathokinesiology, right? It's a, it's a movement profile. Us as physical therapists, we need to start diagnosing movement. So, so if someone says, listen, I'm, I'm getting surgery next week for my low back. I'm getting a laminectomy, a, a, you know, a fusion. Stop. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Is come, that- come see, come see you or me. Yeah. Right. You know, like, it, so I have to find the study, but, uh, the highest predicting factor of having a lumbar fusion is the amount of neurosurgeons in your area. Really? Yeah. I'll find it. I'll see if I can. Interesting. I wonder what else they looked at with that. Like in terms of like other factors, like this regional independence, I guess the, if there's a lot of neurosurgeons around you, the likelihood of you having spinal surgery is higher. So if we're seeing a lot of fusions and disectomies before we're trying to get someone to move the right way and get their symptoms better, we're not doing it the right way. Interesting. Yeah. When, when is it appropriate to get some type of surgery, lumbar surgery? Yeah. yeah you have your cardioquinas, you have synergistic pathologies, progressive neurological issues, right? You start getting a drop foot. Yeah. Start having bowel and bladder issues. Right? You're mechanically unresponsive. Right. Your quality of life, yeah, you know, your quality sure. of life is. Bad. I've treated plenty of people with, with disc bulges so bad that they have a drop footed, and I and I start doing press ups and slowly coax, kind of very gently keep going, going. 
their dropless starts getting better. They start getting less tingling and numbness. They're centralizing. They get better. They get better. They get better. It takes more time. Sure. But, I'm for, I'm, but there's a lot of back and forth questioning, making sure they don't get worse. And I have people cancel surgeries all the time. I, I see the same thing. Right. It's, it's, it's interesting. Even the amount of force that you apply when you're doing some of your interventions with press-ups or the angle in which yep. you're doing Hips it. Hips off center, right? But, but the MRI hasn't changed. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the best. Or sometimes it does. Sometimes we, we sometimes, sometimes we do that disc reduced. But yeah. We can yeah. see it. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, well, I still have a severe herniation. Yeah. But I'm, but I'm okay. But you don't feel fine. But you yeah. feel fine. You don't have any symptoms. My, my jaw felt left. Yeah. I got stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. I think we need to advocate for ourselves because, uh, as patients, because the reality is that it's 50, 50, right? That's, that's what the research shows with surgeries. Lumbar surgeries in particular is that 50% of surgeries get back to their, their previous level of function. The same percentage is in outpatient physical therapy. So be your own advocate. Uh, I know two surgeons are the same, so I can't make that comparison to surgeons to PTs. But what I can say is that the range and difference between uh, you know, a not so good PT and a really good PT is much more. That one could make you worse. This one can fix you completely, right? As opposed to a surgeon, I would think, yes, they can make you worse and one complete, can completely fix you. Mm -hmm. But the likelihood, I would say, those are outliers, right? I mean, maybe, maybe not the, you know, the one that can get you completely better. Maybe it's more common than not, than making you worse. But th that group, you know, that confidence interval is much, much smaller, much more narrow. And it is for PT. So advocate for yourself. If you're not happy with what you're getting from the PT, go see somebody else, especially if you're getting worse. But have yeah. that conversation with the PT too. Let them know so they can do something different. Because I reassess every time. Every know? time. I, literally, I have to. Otherwise, I can't I do a revel every in my head every single time. I say I say that all the time. I bill a re I don't bill it. But yeah. I do a reval every time you're in the office because otherwise I don't know what intervention I'm going to provide that day. And so I can't write down a preset of exercises you're going to do when you walk before you walk in because I don't know how you're going to look that day. If you come in and someone takes your range of motion and your manual muscle test, you know, hip, whatever, whatever it is, and for your back and you're, you start, and they don't start loading you and trying to figure out what's making you better. Like you start doing physio ball, you know, you start bending forward and lat pull downs. That's mm -hmm. not physical therapy. I, I agree, man. But it's but how many places, you know, where they got back pain, they start bending forward and they start doing lat pull downs and they go on the treadmill and, they do some heel toe, heel raises and toe. Like, what? In, in the athletic population, what, what is a common thing that you see in terms of low back pain? Like what sports? Here's a fun one. The athlete is movement makes you better. PT first, right? Mm -hmm. APTA, PT first. The best thing that someone can do for themselves is, is get moving. No matter if, if I can't figure out what's wrong with them, I just get them moving. Even if I can't, that'll help them themselves. Most people are going to get better just because they start moving with us. I don't think any physical therapist is so good that they're going to fix everyone because they're just that good. They are getting better. 30% of our people or 40% of our people are just getting better because they're doing exercises. Yeah. But it's like maybe that in 20% of people are just not going to get better. 10% maybe for really good. Yeah. But you know, there's still like 20, 30% of people I think that we can have a really big difference with. Yeah. The quality of the PT it makes the biggest difference. That's a good point. Um, yeah, What's so your question again? Yeah, I didn't the, answer your the, question. The sports. Yeah, sports. sports. Okay, so with, with that athlete that moves a lot because they're moving so much, uh, they're probably more asymptomatic, right? They, they may have, like, they come in with, like, hamstring pain, right? Yeah. So, and uh, they think it's, like, you get a diagnosis of, like, a sprain strain. Yeah. R were you running and felt pain? No. If it's, How's if, you sprain yourself? 
Yeah. How, how'd you do yeah, that? I just, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't Woke know. up one morning and it was right? bothering me. So, so screen that spine. So, so I don't think it's one sport or another. I think more of a, any, anything that bends forward more seems to have just more back pain, but it's more of those interesting athlete presentations. that have like just knee pain and they may have like a positive special, like a McMurray's. Right. And they did therapy and it's not different. Did someone look at your spine? If you, if you come into physical therapy with hip, knee, even foot, pinky, pinky, I don't care. Pinky, pinky pain. I'm screening their spine. I, I do it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a patient, I said this in a previous podcast, I had a patient when I was working over in Ardmore, came in in a boot, uh, Achilles tendinopathy was a diagnosis, came from a, a, like a good podiatrist. And I know of, walked in the door, uh, how did it happen? Don't know. I've been playing a lot of basketball lately. Okay. Can you do a heel raise? Like what's that look like? No problem. No pain at all with the heel raise. Nothing. All right, go on the slam board and do a heel raise. Let's load it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from a passively insufficient position. Nothing. Looks strong. I'm like, how long have you been in the boot? Four weeks. All right, you should <laughs> not be inflammatory able to, anymore. I'll tell you that much. You should be able to do that. So do it with the other side. I said, which one feels weaker? It's like, this one's probably a little bit stiffer, but I don't feel pain. I said, he's like, that was never painful. It was only, I only felt that pain when I bent forward to touch my toes or tie my shoes. And ding, I, ding, I, ding. I was like, oh, no way we missed this one. How was that missed? Happens you know? all the time. It's just, come on. In, in Philadelphia, you know, by like a, like a good podiatrist, like impossible. But they're trying. So, so like literally did, did extensions and everything we, we already talked about. Fine. Like four or five visits, like cleared, done, playing basketball, no problem. And you know, it's, it's the, the sports that are kind of more physical seem to have less problems. I, I see a couple of like wrestlers, right. Or, you know, Football players that, that put themselves in weird positions. Yeah. Their just bodies are so adapt to it. They don't have, they don't have that pain. Well, I say it all the time. That, uh, athletes are more challenging. Everyone says they want to work with athletes, especially, especially young PTs. Oh, I want to work with, you know, athletes and high level athletes. And now because that's a sexy thing to do, I mm-hmm. guess that's my, that's my guess. They, athletes are very difficult to work with, very difficult to work, work with. You're, you're dealing with people who ad- adapt well to movement so they can compensate. They can, you know, so you have to really tease out, you know, where, like where the dysfunction or a lack of, you know, ability to load through a tissue or joint is, and they're probably not going to be a hundred percent honest with you about their pain. Whereas some patients may be a little bit on the other end of the spectrum where they're, you know, uh, making everything seem much worse than it actually is, you know, embellishing to an extent mm-hmm. and a- athletes on the opposite end of the spectrum probably aren't going to be completely honest about a two out of 10 or a three out of 10 without the proper education, at least. So it, it is not easy treating athletes. Anyone who says it is, is tripping. They don't know what I'm talking about. And they got a lot of people in their ear. Right. Right. Mom, dad, ATC, coach. Sure. They want to get back. Yeah. No, a hundred percent agree with you. And the good thing with movement diagnosing is, is when the patient or when the athlete says, Hey, can I play? That's a difficult question to answer. Uh, I, luckily we don't, we aren't forced that we don't have to answer that. Right. I, can. I know you can, I, th- I can too, but I, I want to find out from the physician first. I got to get clearance. I got to cover my butt, you know? And if they say it's up to you, Jeff, go for it. All right. I got it from here. And then it's really difficult. Yeah. But when we start movement profiling people, yep. right. Sub sub classifications to movement profiles, like, uh, like a Sarman, like a McKenzie, mm-hmm. like an SFMA. But if we can start working on the symptoms the symptom presentation. Hey, can I play? All right. Well, here's your baseline. Can you reproduce it? No. Okay. Well, do you know how to fix it if you get it? Yeah. All right. Go play. It's a little bit easier. Yeah. We, we have a foundation to do that with them. Right. 
For sure. Th- when we start thinking that way, when we start thinking like, oh, your meniscus is torn and it's not yeah. eight weeks or 12 weeks yet. And I'm not talking about surgical post-op. Like there's, sure. we still, I still believe that there's an anatomy to us. Oh, for sure. I mean, like a lateral ankle sprain. I got one now. He's a hockey player, which is bizarre that there's a lateral ankle sprain, but get on the ice and skate, just skate. 30 minutes on the ice, right? We're, we're managing volume, something that's manage, you know, manageable. You can always hop off the ice. Not a big deal. It's like he's going on like a 10-mile run and he's got to find a way back, right? So go out there for 30 minutes and see how it feels. No stick. No, I don't, do not want him tempted to turn, turn the volume up on things. And then the next time, you know, and again, that's, is it better? He needs to get strong enough, really, mm-hmm. to stabilize where that injury was. So we have to slowly increase the load. Graded exposure. Graded exposure. Exactly right. So. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's all good stuff, man. Uh, leg length discrepancy. That's one thing I didn't, I didn't mention, uh, to you before the podcast that I feel like is, I get that all the time is my, is one leg longer than the other? You know, what does that mean? And, uh, and in and out of alignment, those are things I that I hear. Alignment. I, I, I don't like the word. I hate the word alignment. Forget this. Like I hate the word alignment, but it's easier than explaining exactly what's going on for people who don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we oh. have plenty of high-level athletes. Bolt has a scoliosis, doesn't he? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Are you, you going to change his alignment? Hop on the table. I bet your alignment's <laughs> off right now. doesn't mean you have pain. Right? Uh, we, were, we were joking right before. Like, I, I got this weird lean to me, you know, but like, I don't got like pain. Right. When I look in the mirror sometimes, I hurt do you, my eyes. Do you look at leg, <laughs> do you look, do you look at leg length discrepancy? Uh, like, a little bit, yeah. Um, if we have a lateral shift. So I, I kind of called it true or false leg length discrepancy. Yep. So I'll do a little bit of like, uh, I don't like special tests, period. Well, we can get into maybe a different podcast on that one, but, but, uh, but I'll do like a, a supine bridge to sit test yeah. and see if there's a little, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. And look at the meter malleolus and see if one's longer than the other. Okay. Yeah. So is there SI quote unquote out of off, alignment, out of alignment, off, yeah. but then I'll measure, you know, uh, greater choke, meter malleolus. ASIS meter malleolus. So I'm trying to get it a little bit of differential. Is it a true, is it a true leg discrepancy? Is my, is my femur, is my tibia a little bit longer than the other one? Or do we have kind of a muscular, a muscular imbalance? Yeah. And alignment. Yeah. And alignment. Right. No, I'm with you. It, it, to me, it's a, it's about mobility, right? Is there a deficiency in mobility one direction or, or, or the other? And that would result, or you would also be accompanied by, a, you know, muscle imbalance. And that's what I, I use it for. So if someone's got low back pain on the left side, and they're, you know, an anterior, you know, a nominate um, on that side. Do, do, here, you know. can your can your SI move? Can your SI move? Like, you know, when you, when you have this like rotations and upshifts, do you think it can move? It's a good question. So uh, I would say yes. It's not how I look at it. I don't. It's not one isolated movement, yeah. in my opinion. But if someone's lying supine and you know an ASIS is lower on one side than the other, right? Uh, I, I think you could argue that it does, but it could also be a muscle imbalance that's creating that. Yeah. So we can argue both directions. I'm just no, nah, it's a fair question. To me, there's there's something going on on that on that side that I got to address, yeah. and maybe it's because of a lack of stability on the other side. You know, so so yeah, we can get into the weeds on that. that but that, I, I like that side where there's something on the other side going on. Correct. Yeah, because there's a reason why this side is 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 uh is injured, right? There's too much stress on that side. Why is there too much stress on that side? Because the other side is not holding its own. Um, if it's if it's a symmetrical sport, that is rotational sport, that may be a little different. Yeah. We gotta look upper and lower, uh, mm-hmm. upper upper as well. Um, 
All right, let's get into um, yeah, let's get into this, the, the the five quick cues. Uh, you go with that. Let's do it. All right. Uh, one course a new grad should take. Every new grad should take, focusing on the spine. Mackenzie Part A. Okay. I'm biased. But no, that's I'm okay. Mackenzie bi- Part A. Every single physical, every single physical therapist, chiropractor, and primary care physician should take that course. It, why? To understand what mechanical presentations and mechanical loading can do to a person. Is it, is you know, what's causing your sciatica? Yeah. I think it, it creates a more efficient, uh, decision-making process as to what should happen next. Clinical algorithm, right? And you're inside that room. When you're one-on-one that patient day one, you have a foundation. You have a way to differentiate how a patient is moving and why, and then a, a straightforward assessment, assessment to treatment. Yeah. Well said. And you get a baseline too. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, right throwing, baseline, yeah. throwing, I'm just lighting the candles for you. Um, should physical therapists be permitted to dry needle in the state of Pennsylvania? I plead the fifth. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so is it JJ Abrams? I'm going to, I'm going to toss her name in there. Uh, does a lot for dry needling and physical therapists. Um, and, and this, and this is what she said to me when I, when we had a conversation, the guide to physical therapy, our Bible notes, dry needling for multiple different diagnoses. What does that tell you? it's research driven. Right? So and, it's just that it actually works. And in our part of our scope of practice, and I think there's a, there's some physical therapists out there that are doing uh needle EMGs. Yeah. That's, that's a lot more invasive than dry needling. Who can dry needle in PA? What professions? Acupuncturists. And I think some, I think, I think uh, some physicians do like medical acupuncture, but that's different than dry needling to me. Oh, absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm not a different needling. target. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A different structures, you know, like sure. 97% core or acupoints correlate 97% of the time, but I'm going for a narrow pathoanatomical structure. And that might be the only thing in, uh, in physical therapy that I don't understand why we can't do it because all the research supports it. And most of the States it's legal. Lobbying, money, politics. Right? That's why I asked who, okay, why, why, who can do why it. Can, why can we not call them manipulations? Yeah, that's, yeah. Or right. adjustments, right. right. Know, I, I hear you. There um, you go. I, I call them that anyway. So I would probably, <laughs> the PT police coming after me. Uh, what, what is the average age you see for low back pain? In my, in, in Feasterville, where I am now, uh, it's a little bit more of, uh, just more of an older population. So I mean, like 50, but that's average, right? So like half my people are under 50. Right. Uh, I'm in Claymont, Delaware. It's a little bit of a younger population. So I see a little bit, you know, more of a working class. Mm-hmm. You know, th- I got plenty of 2030s and 40s. And I got, oh God, I got so many stenosis diagnoses that bend backwards and get better. So explain that one to me. If you have stenosis, how do you, get, how do you bend backwards and get better? Because uh, stenosis is a diagnosis via a radiographic image and, uh, and not necessarily a movement dysfunction or movement uh, diagnosis. So uh, that's probably why. I like it. Uh, all right. What sports, I kind of asked this earlier, what sports most commonly cause or correlate with low back pain? Anything you can think of that you see low back pain in a lot of? The ones that are almost like singular, singular, singular movements. The ones that like don't almost like stress their bodies as much, like almost like, like sprinters, 
right? You know, like yeah. just like straight linear movements, a lot of hip drop. You know, people that are like when, when you flex your hip, you're flexing your spine, right? You know, so when you get more hip extension, you're getting a little bit more of lumbar extension. So, um, I don't think I have like one. I can't. I don't see one sport more. I think that causes back pain. I think it's yeah. more of a lifestyle. So and athletes move. So yeah, uh, I think. Yeah. What about you? Do you is right. there one that you see? Yeah, that's no. I think you bring up a good point. Um, interesting, you say sagittal because I would say probably more rotational and older yeah. athletes, right? Yeah. Like so, like in a you know your Golf. average golfer, right? Yeah. Like is more likely to get low back pain. <laughs> yeah. It's a rotational sport. Um, I would say in younger athletes, I see low back pain more in like definitely gymnastics. I see it a lot. That's and a that's, good one. That's loading. Dancers. Dancers. Hypermobile. Like, yep. And even like we have, we treat a ton of Irish dancers here. Uh, see it commonly there. I also see it in, in rowing and that's a sagittal pain movement. But they're right, flexed. For the most part, right? But they're, they're flexed, flexed a lot. They're going to, I mean, they're, they're most City. flexed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes some baseball players, but you know, that again, that's overuse. Uh, and more so the issue in my opinion is stability yeah. relative to the mat, the load management that, that, that they may be lacking. Right. So they're probably doing, they're hitting too many balls in the cage or they're throwing too many pitches or taking too many reps where they're rotating forcefully and they don't have the stability to tolerate it. Right. So either we back off on the load on, on the amount of volume or we increase the stability of anti-rotation type exercises because, or, you know, rotation with resistance exercises, not only one plane. Now, do you see more back pain with your athletes during like spring training? Do you see more in the mid season? Like as they break down a little bit at the end of the season? So usually we'll see them more, especially like, like baseball. We'll see them more like the first, probably like three weeks to a month into the season. The pain probably started somewhere during preseason. And by the time they got through the grapevine and got to me and they saw three other you know, medical professionals first, that now we're a month into the season, right? So, um, yeah, it's probably over towards the very end of the season where it's okay. We've been doing this for three months now or four months and we only have a month or two left. Playoffs are coming up, showcases. They played through it. They played through, yeah, a level of discomfort and now they're seeing a drop in performance. Um but yeah, that, that's what, and gymnastics is all year round, right? Uh, even rowing, like you're on the erg all year round. It blows my mind. But um, so, you know, at least around here, tennis, you can do indoor. Golf, you can, yeah, that's tougher to do. But uh, coaches are still in business. Uh, yeah. So so that means athletes are still Clubs, doing Clubs, school, school, it's, uh, every, everything's year round. Yep, very true. Um, what is the most common type of injury you see in youth athletes in general? The, the sprain strain, yeah. uh, which even sometimes I think, you know, sometimes if you can't give me the time where you strain yourself, it's not a, it's not a, a strain anymore. Right. Yep. Um, yep. I, I see, I see a lot of like the, the knees and the, the overhead athletes going to be the shoulder or the elbow, but, um, the meniscus, the tendonite, the tendinopathy. Yep. Uh, but even, you know, we'll get back to that special test, but like, disappear sometimes once we find that directional preference. So yeah, I'm using kind of my anatomical terms, but yeah, I would agree with that. I, I I think I see low backs right up there. I would also see some like if it's an overhead sport, like shoulder, I don't see a ton of elbow and youth athletes unless it's, unless it's like a, a, you know, UCL 
although I'll see more in like your 45, the 55, 65 range, especially so players or golfers, right? Time. Exactly right, right. The volume and, and chronic overuse of that tendon over the years. But I usually don't see that in youth athletes. Um, a lot of ankle, a lot of yeah, ankle. So, so think of the areas where there's the most laxity, lumbar spine, shoulder, uh, and ankle. That's probably what I see the most in athletes. Um, what else you want to get into, man? I know we could probably do this for hours, but like, what do you want to touch on? I, I, my, my favorite one is, is when a special test disappears. Yeah. So let's talk. So, so during the assessment, maybe. Yeah. So, so actually we got into the eval and we, yeah. we stepped away for a second. So we, for more than a second, we, so we went through assessment, treatment, uh, and then, you know, the, uh, the rest of it, but I wanted your special test. Let's talk about it. So just so our listeners understand in physical therapy, uh, we use what we call special tests to help us to, uh, narrow in on if a tissue could be damaged. Um, if there's po- you know, if a, if a special test is positive, then that usually indicates that a, a tissue is or joint is that there's some some type of damage or dysfunction going on, right? So uh, we have it for different structures of the of the body. Um, we have to sometimes put more stress. Usually, we're loading or stressing those structures in order. You know, we're, and we're looking for pain or laxity. Typically, would be a, would indicate a positive test. Um, and so we use this to guide our diagnosis. And which in terms, you know, by the textbook would then guide intervention, right? So, so what Jeff is, is, is alluding to here is when you do a special test and it's positive, that says there's a dysfunction or an issue with this specific structure or movement, which would then allow us to zero in on that, that area. What if that sign is a negative at the end of the test or at the end of treatment or changes, right? What does that indicate? So go ahead, man, take it away. You know, let's let's be specific as we can. Let, let's just call it a uh, joint line tenderness, right? Or uh, McMurray's for uh, meniscus pathology. Patient comes in, knee pain, athlete, I was on the field or I already, I hurt myself. Maybe they did therapy. Maybe they didn't do therapy. In the eval, you, you get a bunch of, you get a positive test, a positive McMurray's. And you would then start, right? You diagnose their tissue pathology and you would do yep. treatment. Well, what happens if I get a positive McMurray's and I do some repeated motion knee extension and then I retest the McMurray and it's negative? Yeah, I would, I would call voodoo on that. You know, that can't be, that can't be right. That's a goofy McKenzie thing to do. I do it all the time. <laughs> cue the, cue right? the sarcastic <laughs> look. Right. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so, 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 so what, does, no, what does that mean? Right. We can't, we can't rely on that. Right. We can't rely on pathoanatomy. We can't rely on our special tests. We know the studies have poor reliability, validity. So what's more important? So which would indicate, so which uh, I'm in, in pl- inferring that you're saying negative tests are that there was never a meniscus issue to begin with in this specific case. Or there's what's more important is that, is that movement profile, right? If I, if I, that directional preference, if I can move them in, if they have a derangement, right? Who cares if the meniscus might be, choice that we're going for because if it's a meniscus you're thinking closed chain right right yep uh, going down the steps and knee, knee mm-hmm. buckles locks clicks right so we're thinking like we don't want to do any like lumbar quads right right but uh i'm thinking if i if i see a positive mcmurray's and i do the extension and they get better i might be sitting there over and over doing longer quads with them if that's the movement that made them better why am i not going to do that 
Yeah, I would say then let's go test it again. Go down those steps right. there, and there's less and if pain. If it's better, right? then who cares if the McMartin? It, it, I use it as a little as a baseline. And if I can keep that test negative, right? They, what, they had a meniscal pathology at 1001 when I tested them. And then at 1003, after I found a directional preference, they didn't have meniscal pathology. Is it, is it important for you to, to know what is changing, if anything? Like, do you need to know what, like, what was going on? Why did they feel pain? Because all you really know, based on what you're telling me, is that there was pain. I did this repeated movement. Now there's no pain. So whatever test told me there was pain is probably crap. But if we can keep doing this movement, they're going to feel better. Yep. Do you care what was actually going on before? Well, the, the, how our tests are faulty. So if, if the test is telling me this might be what's causing the pain now. A lot of people might be rolling their eyes right now. No, it's interesting. I, I, that's a but, un, but unconventional perspective. It's very unconventional. But the patient's better. Right. But for them to prevent it from happening again, that's not the problem. Don't prevent it. Just when it does happen, you're able to do this, and it goes away. If, if, if they can keep doing it, it keeps getting better. And I'm building a whole program around that. Interesting. Yeah. So if someone says, if a doctor asks, okay, what was going on with their knee? What do you, why do you think that they, this could have happened? I can, I can still talk to, yeah. right? I can still talk the, the talk of what the doctor needs to know and right. what might be going on. Something intra-articular or something. Yeah. Con, you but, know. but maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not saying just inter, yeah, maybe I'm not talking about a meniscus. I'm, I'm choosing right. my words carefully. I'm talking about intra-articular, right? So right. something was, blo something was not making the inside of the joint happy. We did, we found a direction preference. We moved it out of the way. We maybe made the joint a little bit happier by putting it in a good place. Or maybe we activated the right muscle, right? right. Maybe we have an anterior versus posterior chain issue. Yeah, it could be congruency of the joint yeah. surfaces and maybe, but more likely some type of muscle activation or recruitment that now you're you're better at recruiting because you did it repeatedly mm -hmm. that you weren't getting before when you were going down the steps, you're going up the steps. Or you got your adhesive, adhesive capsulitis people, right? Yeah. You can't move. I, I, I load the joint maybe like an internal rotation repeated movement and magically the range of motion gets better. Wait a second. That's How do you have any use of capsulitis anymore? And it's actually, what's interesting is the, the recommended treatment typically is the opposite of that. Yeah. Stretch into pain, stretch into pain, stretch into pain. So that, that if derangement versus dysfunction, right? Right. You know, produce no worse versus can we get a rapid response? Right. So it, it changes the way we think. Yeah, it does. Well, it changes, which changes the intervention and changes mm -hmm. home exercise program, et cetera. Why are you doing your intervention? That's where I want to. Yeah. No, you, should, you should be thinking, why are you doing this? Yeah, well said. Because, uh, yeah, McKenzie is just not, like, I I remember uh, there was a CSM in Philly, not CSM, it was a PPTA, yeah, PPTA, like, the had, like, Pennsylvania, a Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, a local combined sections meeting, but just in, in Philly. And I remember they had a McKenzie therapist go up there and uh, presented about, like, a shoulder pain. They were like, okay, it hurts to lift up straight in front of you in a flexion 120 degrees. And... That then had the patient reach back as far as they could 10 times and they reached up in front of them and it went to like 160 degrees. I'm like, this is freaking <laughs> crap. This is Are you kidding me? This can't be real. Like, it just takes the skill out of what we do, but it doesn't. But, but, that, but no, but the <laughs> but skill that's a superficial is, is, view. Right, is being able to figure out that pattern, right? Pattern recognition. Yeah. It was a medicine is a science of uncertainty and an art of probability. Right. I like uh, that. So, like, I'll invite anyone to come to my clinic and I'll blow those special tests out of the water and show you how they disappear after finding a directional preference if they fit into that category. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, so so special tests may hold some value to an extent sure. as an asterisk sure. sign in that case, right? 
because then you're able to treat and then reassess. But a special test is not meant to be reproducible, like is, is meant to be reproducible and not expected to improve if the pathology is still there. Yeah, don't, don't build around the special test is all I'm asking. Yeah, to do. that's fair. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's everything I got. That's everything I got. This has been fantastic. I'm, I'm thrilled that, uh, that you got on. I want our listeners to be able to get in touch with you uh, or to find you on social media. So what's the best way to, to get in touch with you directly? And can you share some of your, um, some of your, uh, your name on Instagram and LinkedIn, you know, whatever you got, TikTok, yeah, uh, TikTok, MySpace. <laughs> uh, you're laughing, but TikTok is the future, man. I did, I'm, it's the present. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, it's very true. <laughs> I'm just not in the loop. Like, like, know, I'm not like Isabella is over I wish here. It was. Um, Jeffrey dot, uh, Weisberg at, uh, Ivy rehab.com. My email, um, probably the best way to get to me. Okay. And then on you on Instagram, uh, whiskey therapy. Okay. I'm a little bit of a, a bourbon hunter. Yeah. Yeah. You can, find, you can find me there. Yeah. We've, uh, we've had, we've tasted a couple of bourbons together, at least one. Uh, and it was, yeah, you know your stuff. Yeah. Two okay. for two. Um, and but what else we got? Is there, is there any, uh, TikTok? No TikTok, no, no TikTok. Facebook. Um, and LinkedIn. Are you LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. All Jeff right. Weisberg. All right. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll have to do uh, round two when the revised CPGs come back Let's out do it. For, for 2025. And, uh, <laughs> but this has been great. I think there's a ton to take away from, from this and uh, that th there's a lot of uncertainty, but uh, you know, we got to be able to run through our tests appropriately and, and pathology doesn't dictate, doesn't dictate treatment. Those are my takeaways. I like it. All right. You're the man thing. Cheers, Th buddy. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the on cue performance therapy podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five-star review so more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time.